Amen. Hey, would you pray with me? Father, it's uh, really been good to be in the house of the Lord today. I want to thank you for the worship team leading us uh, through worship today. I want to thank you for the magnificent worship of our children's department as they brought these boxes in. And uh, then, Father, what Jenny just blessed us with in song. Our hearts are very full today, and we're grateful, Jesus, for what you did on that cross and what you're doing in our lives um, today and the purpose that you're bringing about in our lives. I Father, want to pray that um, you'll just release the Holy Spirit. We know he's everywhere. We got that. We understand that. But we just pray that you'll release him here. May he find um, this place a place where he can work. Um, we know we read in the Bible often where you could not do me miracles because of uh, the sins and the attitudes of the people. And we pray that would never be the case here, but that this would be a place, a sanctuary where you can work and where the Holy Spirit will work. Um, I really want to pray, Father, for the message today that you will speak to our hearts. Would you just grab a hold of us in a big way um, as we teach from the Word? Um, we just pray, God, that we will not be the same people in our hearts uh, that we came in. Uh, that would be, Father, something we would want dearly. So thanks again for letting us be here. It's good to be home uh, with, with our family. And uh, thank you for the privilege of sharing today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. And like I just prayed, it's so good to be back with you guys. Several people asked you had a great time. We did. We were in Florida, and it was like 75 degrees every day and sunny. It was nice. It was really nice. Let me just trust you. And we're grateful we came home to some reasonably pretty good weather until last night, and then it decided to cool off. We wanted to be a little bit like the, like the holiday season, so Merry Christmas and Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we brought the cold weather just for you. Hey, today we're going to start a two-week series, like a mini-series, and I thought it would be so appropriate that we talk about the idea and thought of giving. Now, not just giving, but a type of giving. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I, I don't want it to be just a message about we ought to give, but really about generosity, about generosity. Now, I need to, if you'll give me the time, let me tell you a little story about me. And I know sometimes people say, you don't even talk about you too much. And I agree with that. Sometimes I do. But I think, I really want you to understand that this is a personal message for me. Um, my, when we got married, and I, again, this is not going to be a long story, but when we got married, you know, Judy was very clear that she felt like that we should be tithers. And so for the last 41 years, we have been tithers. Through lean times and through more, more abundant times, um, we have been tithers. And it's kind of a standing joke between Rod Wallace and I. We, um, he always takes the offering up here. And, you know, and so... When Judy's in town, I look up and I smile and say something like, usually, you know, I've got money today. Um, because when Judy's gone, I don't remember to pick up the check. It's like he comes down the aisle, you know, and looks at me, her seat's empty, and I go, no money today, Rod, you know. And yes, we do make it up. In fact, there were two envelopes today that went into play, but she was in town. And so we've never had a, I've never had an issue with generosity um, with our checkbook and with what we try. We really try to live and practice generosity. Don't say that to my horn, trust me. I'm just trying to let you know where I am. That's that. But then there's this. I've mentioned this before, and it's a good lesson, is that I have a kitty fund. Um, that's money that kind of comes in through honorariums or when someone gives me something for a funeral or something, a gift or something. Then I have a own little checking account. You, of course, have joint checking. And she has a little kitty, and I have a little kitty. And my kitty's bigger than her kitty. <laughs> my kitty goes roar. Hers goes meow. You know. So anyway, so, so anyway, so I've got this kitty fund. 
And um, it's kind of money that, that if I want to buy like something that I can just like buy something with. And uh, like we don't like, I don't go to Judy and say, hey, can I spend money on my kitty fund? It's kind of like my kitty fund. And so here's the deal. I got to be honest with you. I, I'm pretty generous, you know, I, I think with a checkbook, you know, mainly because Judy writes the checks. She's probably more generous than me. Um, but I need to be honest with you that when it comes time to give away something out of the kitty fund, I'm just not quite as generous. Uh, in fact, she, she tells me that when I go out to eat with like Jeremy or something, and should the world be coming to an end the next day, and I feel the need to buy lunch, um, <laughs> I, I don't use my money. I use the checking account card. She tells me you're supposed to use your kitty fund for things like that. Well, if I spend my kitty fund, then I won't have my kitty fund. If I get my kitty fund away, then I won't have a roar anymore. <laughs> and so... I'm just trying to tell you that I wrestle with this message, not because of the checkbook, but because of my kitty fund, because I'm really not very generous with what I have ownership of. And so before we preach, I want you to know in authenticity that me and God had to have a talk, and I'm not saying I solved the problem because I'm not sure I did. Can I tell you another story? I got to. This is, I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but today's as good as any. Because again, as I'm studying last night for this message, God's talking to my heart. And so, like yesterday morning, I was like having my quiet time. And you know, and like, I'm, I'm giving God the rundown of my sins. Okay, do y'all do that? God, <laughs> and now I'm, I'm really speaking like this. God, you, you need to know. And I said, I'm prideful. <laughs> And I'm arrogant. And I'm selfish. And I named a couple other things. And we have one of those Alexa things. Y'all know what that is? It's that little thing that it's like a personal assistant. And you say, Alexa, how's the weather outside? And it says, it's 64 degrees outside. You know? So I'm confessing these sins, you know. And I'm not sure if I said, God, I need your help or not. But out of the clear blue sky. With me speaking in a whisper, Alexa says, I'm happy to know that. I would be glad to help. All you need to do is ask. Hello? I'm going, okay, God. That was like, wow. It really was. And I felt that last night when I was studying. It's like one of those times when God was saying, Dwayne, I want to help you with this. And so he started speaking to my heart. So today we're going to talk about generosity. And next week we're going to continue that thought. Now, I wanted you to know that when I'm speaking about giving today and generosity, um, this is money that we give away. What, what, what is going to happen today in the scripture and what I'm trying to talk to you about today is not our budget offering. And by the way, we need for you to give the budget offering. It's how we pay the light bill. It's how we buy literature. It's how we do the things we ministry here. Budget offering is so important. But I really want to talk today about money that we give away as a church. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about Lottie Moon coming up with an incredible goal of $50,095, I think. Uh, Lottie Moon, uh, Annie Armstrong, World Hunger Offering. I want, to, I want to talk to you and I want to encourage you in being generous, not in the money that stays in Dorisville, but the money that we give away, that we give away. It's why we do what we do. It's why we do what we do. It's how we do what we do. So, let me ask you a question. I, I did a little survey this morning, 
And I, I, I thought about this last night. And I said to myself, okay, if I were to ask people the question, nothing says I love you like. Nothing says I love you like. What would be the response? Well, I asked Judy. Now, life would have been easier if she just said something like, pick up your dirty underwear. You know, that's, that, that's easy. And I should do that. Did I say underwear from the pulpit? I said, so what would you say, Judy? And she said, nothing says I love you like a foot rub. Foot rub. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going, that's harder. Oh, by the way, I said I love you last night. and She got a foot rub out of the deal. I asked, and I told these folks I asked this morning that I wouldn't share their names, so I'm not going to do that. But this is, this is near the top of my list. I asked one person, I said, so what? Answer this question, nothing says I love you like, and they said, well, this. Nothing shows loving like something from the oven. Uh, yeah, you know, like, I still like pecan pie. Shoot that thing, all right? Somebody said, a big hug. Another person along those same lines said, nothing shows love like showing affection. I thought that was good. One person said, nothing shows love like family, like family. And I would suppose that depends on the family. Um, Nothing shows love like a big smile, like a big smile. Nothing shows love like acts of kindness. You have these good answers? There really are. Um, now, this one, too, it's, it's, I thought it was a great answer. Nothing shows love like one Christian to another. Didn't Jesus say, they'll know you're Christians by your love? Yeah, what a great answer. And then one person said this, nothing says I love you like Jesus. Wow, that's good. And the last person, and it was really the last person, said Nothing says I love you like giving. And I said, that's it. That's it. Nothing says I love you like giving. If I were to ask you that same question, but twist it up just a little bit, what if I were to ask this question? Nothing says Jesus like. Nothing says Jesus like. Like I'm sure the first thing would pop into some of our brains is nothing says Jesus like church. Like church. Some people would say nothing says Jesus like reading your Bible. Or praying. Or some of the other religious activity. And those are all important and they're good answers. But may I propose to you today that nothing says Jesus like generosity. Nothing says Jesus like a generous heart. And I believe I'd be very close to right. Because she, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, what we're fixing to celebrate in about a month is all about this. You know, you can't have the cradle without this, the cross, because the cradle was just the beginning. The cross was why he came. And it's an act of giving, of generosity. In fact, in fact, in fact, it's, it's, it's incredible generosity. The, the fact that God gave his son is somewhere beyond what we can imagine in generosity. 
I mean, we're never probably more like Jesus than when we're generous. Especially in helping other people. So today, we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1 through, I think the first eight verses. We're not going to go quite as far on the sermon sheet. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's just a wonderful story. I mean, this is a knockdown good story about generosity. And then next week, we're going to look at chapter 9, and it just kind of continues that thought of incredible shoot that thing, generosity. So, so let me give you a little bit of the backstory. So things were not going well in Jerusalem. People were starving to death in Jerusalem. Some of it was because of the persecution of their faith, but there's a famine going on. It was just really lean times in Jerusalem. And so Paul decides that we should take an offering up for the saints in Jerusalem. So he contacts the church at Corinth. Now, you're going to hear two different providences. You're going to hear two different churches. You're going to hear Corinth and the churches of Macedonia. And that represents the entire area of now Greece. What is Greece today was Macedonia and Corinth. Corinth was in the northern part and Macedonia was in the southern part. And what's cool was is that they were, even though they were like brothers, they were like competitors, like the north and the south. Does that ring a bell from 1860? There was a, a war going on, if you will, a constant uh, competition going on between the north and the south. So Corinth was wealthy, and Macedonia and the churches down there were kind of poor. And so Paul goes to the church at Corinth and says, Hey, there's this deal going on. Here's the deal, okay? There's some people, and they're like starving to death in Jerusalem. And we think, you know, me and my buds, we think that we should take an offering up to help the needs of the people in Jerusalem, the brothers in Jerusalem, the sisters in, in Jerusalem. And so they, they go to, you know, they tell Corinth this, and Corinth goes, oh, yeah, what a great idea. We think that's wonderful. And so they started receiving the offering, and it went really well for like a really short period of time. And then it kind of like didn't. They like stopped giving. Okay? So Paul decides he needs to follow up with the Corinthian church because they've got the bucks. I mean, they're a wealthy church. They've got the bucks. And so he wants to kind of motivate them to pick up and start. I know, like a year's gone by. It wasn't like it was three months. Like a year's gone by, and he wants to motivate them to be the generous church that they promised that they would be. So that's the setup for 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so here's what we read. Now, I bet you can guess that if it's 2 Corinthians, and this was a letter that is the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, right. And Paul, by the way, is in Macedonia. So he's in Macedonia and he's writing to the church at Corinth. So he's writing from the southern Greece to northern Greece. All right, that's the setup. Here we go. Look at verse number one. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters. In other words, he says, there's something that's so incredible. I want you to know about it. I want you to know, we want you to know, brothers and sisters. Now watch, this is really crucial. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia. Now, the topic then is not, wow, we, look what they did. It's, wow, we, look what God did. 
Now, you need to write that down if you're a note taker. Because the church needs to remember it's always while we about God and not while we about us. Someone say amen. amen. We need to remember that. These hundred or something or two hundred boxes that are down here, this is not while we us. It's while we God. Amen. When we, when we, when we reach the goal of $50,000 for Lottie Moon, it will not be while we look what Dorisville did. It'll be while we what did God do. So he wants to tell the folks, okay, he wants to tell the Corinthian church about something that God has done about the grace of God that was given to the churches at Macedonia. Don't forget that. That's hugely important. We really as a church, and by the way, this is true for any other church you want to add into the pile, no church has the right to boast about what they've done because it's all God. Our salvation and our sanctification is all about God. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, this is the crazy part, okay? During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, that is a bunch of contradictions, We've got a severe trial, we've got affliction, we've got extreme poverty, and then the same thought path, we've got abundant joy and wealth of generosity. They don't go together outside of God's grace. Outside of God's grace. Okay? Now, if you'll notice, during a severe trial brought about, why? By affliction. There's a real good possibility that the reason why the, that they're poor is because of their faith. Now, we don't get this in America. Like I say, America, with all its faults, still allows us to gather here every Sunday without fear of retribution, and we can preach the gospel as we please, as we please. In places where some people that we love dearly in Central Asia, where they serve... If you sign up for the Jesus Road, you are probably going to be ostracized. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your job. And you might well lose your life. And in the case of Corinth, there's a good possibility that because of the culture, that they were poor because they had lost their jobs or they were excluded from the trade guilds, from the trade unions. Okay? They were not allowed to work. So they weren't lazy And it wasn't a bad economy, but because of their faith, they were excluded most likely from the economy. So so there was a severe trial. These, These are difficult, hard times. So I want you to write this down. That when God is involved, when grace is involved, when God is involved, okay, circumstances should not impact our generosity. It may impact the amount we're able to give, but it should not impact our own generosity. Okay, hard times do not dictate our generosity. It may dictate our offering and our ability to give, but does not dictate the fact that we are called to be generous. So they had this severe trial going on, brought about by affliction, but in this, they have abundant joy. Now, what in the world is that? Now, anybody who knows me, if my day goes south, turn on the wine switch. 
Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. Big ones, fat ones, little tiny skinny ones. I'm going to go eat worms. Woe is me. That's just the way I'm wired. But here they are in this severe trial and affliction. And what? They've got abundant joy. And do you want to know why? Because they understood that joy is appropriate because of Jesus. Joy is appropriate because of Jesus. Despite their severe trial, despite their affliction, they had Jesus, and guess what? They really believed that was enough. They really believed that was enough. They refused to let their circumstances control their joy level. They were overwhelmed with joy because of Jesus. And, and that even, in spite of the extreme poverty, and I remember I taught this passage on Wednesday or Sunday night like about three months ago. And, and Warren Wiersbe said when he talked about extreme poverty, he, he described it this way. It's like a beggar who gives away what he has with no hope of getting more. It's like a beggar who gives away what he has with no hope, with no hope of getting any more. That extreme poverty, it wasn't like a slight downturn in the economy. Things were not going to get better for them economically. So they had this extreme poverty, and yet they had this wealth of generosity. And they were so they were so overwhelmed with Jesus, they're so overwhelmed with their joy. It's almost like they said, there's no way we can repay God for this. There's no way we can repay God for this. But we can give a token of our appreciation. And they saw this generosity as an opportunity to give a token of their appreciation to God for His amazing gift of Jesus Christ. Listen, we can never repay God for what He did. We can never repay God for what he did. But we can offer ourselves as a token of our appreciation. So so they they got the severe trial. They got the affliction. And yet they got this joy going on. The extreme poverty. And overflowed by wealth of generosity. Is that crazy or what? And I bet they're offering. You know, I think Paul intentionally did not tell the Corinthian church what the offering was. That wasn't the point. The point was, is they were generous. You know, there's a, what I'm going to call a zoom in today. And I want to zoom in in Mark chapter 12. And listen to this story. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus is watching. So he's sitting, the Bible says, Jesus is sitting across from the temple treasury. Okay? He watched, he watched, that's uncomfortable. Don't you hate it when you're fixing to give your offering and people are looking? Like, have you ever noticed how the, the smaller the bill, the smaller we fold it? Yeah, if it's 100, you kind of lay it in there. If it's a 50, you close it in half. If it's a 20, you do it in half again. And you keep going half and half. Did you know it's amazing how small you can fold a $1 bill? It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. All right? Someone said George Washington was the most religious person in the world because he's always in church. I don't know. I don't know. It, Best I can do, folks. All right? So anyway, so he's sitting there, and he's watching people give their offering. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And that is like, wow, that's very commendable. It's very commendable. But here's the deal. I read this in a commentary a while, like years ago, 
how that, what would normally happen is that the wealthy people would exchange, make sure that the smallest coinage was there so that when they put the offering in, it made the most noise. Now, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, check this out. I'm going to show you something. Interestingly enough, there were 13 chests or offering receptacles in the temple. There were 13 of them, and they were located around the walls. And guess what they were shaped like? Trumpets. You say, what's the deal about that? Well, isn't it unusual that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 2, Jesus says something like this, Dwayne Keller translation. He says something like this. You know, when you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet like the Pharisees do. Trumpet-shaped receptacles, coinage in these brass or these brass or bronze receptacles, don't sound the trumpet like the Pharisees do. Well, as Jesus watched, these folks would come in and they would dump all this coinage in these trumpet receptacles that sounded like, like World War III going off, you know, all this noise going on. And the whole point being, look what I gave, look what I gave, look what I gave. Well, he said then, in verse 42, he said, then a poor widow came. A poor widow came. And she dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Now, two people have been generous enough to give me a, a widow's mite, and they are literally about a quarter of an inch. Maybe, yeah, about a quarter, about however much that is. About a quarter of an inch. I've got them in my office at home if you want to see them. You know, so very small. So contrast that. Imagine the richer folks bringing in and they're just sounding the trumpets off. All this clang, 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 clang. And, you know, excuse me. So God's up in heaven here, all this clang, 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 clang. And so is Jesus. And it's like, ha, 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 ha. And all of a sudden he hears, tink, tink. And if God can pause, he paused. And if Jesus, and well, Jesus did. Jesus instantly zoomed in. 13, 13 receptacles. And he instantly found the tink, tink. He did not pay much attention to the clang, 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 clang. But when the tink, tink happened, he paid attention. I can just imagine. You know, wow. In fact, in fact, he says this, verse 43. Summoning his disciples, summoning his disciples. Hey, guys, come here, come here. He said, I want to tell you something. Truly, I tell you, this is true. Truly, I want to tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, this is something you've got to get a hold of. God is far more interested in how much. Got wrong. God is far more interested in how much is given and how much is left. Think about that. He's more interested in portion than proportion. When the widow gave her two mites, she gave everything she had. Proportionately, I'm going to get it right in a minute. Proportionately, her gift was much greater than the portion of the Pharisees. Does that make sense? Look. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. Wow. What got God's attention was not the largest gift, but the largest heart. She gave what she had, what she had to live on. I'm pretty sure a lot of you will not give to Lottie Moon. And you wonder why? Because you think your small gift won't make a difference. You think your $2, your $5, your $10 gift won't make a difference. I need to tell you something. Every person in Dorisville should have a part in Lottie Moon. I don't care how much it is. Every person should have a part. Because God cares that we give in our generosity, not how much we give. It's huge, guys. This is huge. That's why every person should do a shoebox. It may not have the best gifts in it. But you know what we've heard story after story after story? The thing that we think will not bless a child's life blesses a child's life. It may be a a dollar toy, and it may be a washcloth and and a toothbrush. And you know what? You may not be able to put the $9 in for shipping. But you don't know what God can do through your obedience by just giving. Just doing. Jesus was blown away. He was wowed about two mites. Two tink tinks. That's what got his attention. And so it was back in 2 Corinthians 8. They had this extreme poverty, and yet they were willing to give anyway. Anyway, so in verse number 3, Paul says this. Now, remember, he's in Macedonia. This is not, I I heard about Macedonia. He's witnessing Macedonia. In verse 3 in 2 Corinthians 8, I can testify. Paul says, I am here, dude. I'm seeing this happen. As I write this letter, I'm watching what's happening here in Macedonia. And this, and this strict affliction and this trial that's going on and this, this extreme poverty, what's going on? I can testify that according to their ability. So apparently they got together and said, this is what we think we can do. This is what we think we can do. And then they said, and even beyond their ability. So, so they got together and decided whatever it was that this is what we think we can do. And then someone said, I think we can do more. And remember, trial, affliction, extreme poverty. And they have a business meeting, and they determine how much they can give, and some crazy guy stands up and says, I think we can give more. Why would they do that? This. They couldn't get over Jesus. They said, no matter what the sacrifice is for us, and it may have been two mites, it may have been a widow's offering, But nothing can ever repay God for this. All we can show is a token of our appreciation. So, this is really crazy. So, he says in verse 4, They begged us. They begged us to earn... They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Now, I read in the commentary, there are three words here that are significant. And I want you to write them down. If you're a note-taker, write these down. Because this is how Paul describes generosity in this case. First off, look at the word. They begged us earnestly for the privilege. 
for the privilege. Now, y'all know I don't, listen, I can't impress you with my Greek knowledge because I ain't got none. Okay? But here's what I know because I read it. The word, the Greek word here is the word, and I even looked up the pronunciation, it's easy, charis. Charis. And by the way, I'm going to give you a free dollar, dollar, you'll pay your dollar later, is that if you're having, if you're planning on having a baby girl, this is a good name for a baby girl, charis, because it means grace and kindness. Google it when you get home. Charis, grace and kindness. Women were saying what a beautiful name it is for a baby girl. Charis and kindness. So, so Paul says they begged us earnestly for the privilege, for the grace to be a part of this grace and kindness, to be a part of this grace and kindness. They literally begged to have a part in this grace and kindness. And what is it? it goes further, for the privilege of sharing in the ministry. The word sharing there is the word, a Greek word, koinia, koinia. And it literally means fellowship fellowship. You see these? There's fellowship in this. When a church gets together and does something as a body, there's fellowship in that. There's koinia in that. When all these boxes, one, two million boxes are collected, there's koinia. There's fellowship in that. You know what's beautiful? Baptists are going to do it. Methodists are going to do it. Presbyterians are going to do it. People who don't go to church but are Christians are going to do it. There's, it's a drawing together when we have the privilege, the, the, the opportunity of grace and kindness to have fellowship together. And, and, and when this money gets to Jerusalem and their believers, there's going to be a fellowship with that. So, so they have this fellowship and being a part of it locally, it draws, listen, it draws the believers together locally, and then it blesses the ones who eventually receive the offering. Nothing pulls a church together like generosity. Let me say it again. Nothing pulls a church together like generosity. And by the way, I'll just say it, nothing tears apart a church more than selfishness. Nothing draws us together like generosity, and nothing tears us, about, or tears us apart like selfishness. And that word ministry, deaconos, where we get the word deacon. And that means to serve, to serve. So Paul says, in the case of these ones, they begged us, they begged us, one, to have a part in this grace and kindness, to enjoy the fellowship of coming together for something bigger than we can ever do by ourselves, to come together and serve those less fortunate than we are, the saints in Jerusalem. What a beautiful picture of generosity. Again, I love it because it's not, I've got lots of money, I can give lots. No, man, God loves it when his people give. When God's people are generous, he loves it. Because he is such a generous God. You know, I'm looking at our students out here. Our students, guys, you may not have, well, depending on how much your mom and dad give you, but, or you can talk them out of it, but you know, you can give. You can be a part of generosity. You can have a generous spirit. You can have a generous spirit. You, you can teach your children to have a generous spirit. I know Ethan, my, my grandson, has a piggy bank. That boy's got more money than Bill Gates. 
I'm telling you, he's loaded. And we can teach that generosity. We take them to take them this afternoon if you haven't done your shoebox yet, and let them be a part of a, something that's generous, kind, and grace filled. Now watch this. Ooh, we're about done, aren't we? <laughs> and they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Watch, this is so good. And not just as we had hoped, and not just as we had hoped. Instead. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. He said, it went beyond what we could believe. They gave themselves first to God and then they gave it to the ministry. Here's the key to generosity. Here's the secret to generosity. Generosity is birthed when we give ourselves away. Generosity is birthed when we give ourselves away. Generosity will be birthed in my life when I take my hands off the kitty. Generosity will be birthed in my life when I take the hands off the kitty. A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, we preached Romans chapter 12. So I'm not going to give you the sermon again. But I could find no better verse than, than to zoom in on that. Because here's what it says. Now, let me read it again. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Look at Romans 12, 1. Well, I'll read it to you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of this, in, in view of God's incredible, crazy kindness of, of Calvary's cross, the incredible kindness of allowing Son Jesus to die on the cross, the incredible kindness that he showed there, in view of God's mercies, he says, do this. I urge you. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true worship. That's your true worship. When, when these Corinthian or when the Macedonian folks gave themselves first to God and then to the ministry, they practiced Romans chapter 12. Paul says, ooh, I want to urge you, give yourselves to God, present yourselves a living sacrifice, and that sets you up for your worship. And that day, I told you, worship happens here, but worship really happens out there. Worship happens here, but it really happens out there. And guess what? I wonder, somewhere on the pecking order of worship, perhaps some of the highest worship is when we're generous. Think about that one. I, I thought it was when I raised my hands. Oh, that's good. If God leads you to raise your hands, raise your hands. When I sing from a pure heart, oh, yeah, that's good. If God, laid, boy, God worship with a clear heart. But I wonder somewhere on that list, real high near the top, is when we go out those doors and give ourselves away. And when we take the time to do this, or Lottie Moon, or World Hunger, and we do without, so the gospel can go to this world. That's got to be up there somehow, somewhere. I mean, I really believe, I really believe, I really believe that nothing says Jesus like generosity. But you've got to be willing, and here's the key thought, you've got to be willing to give yourself away. You've got to be willing to give yourself away. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask me this question? If he did this, how much is too much to express our love for this? If he did this, how much is too much for what he did? 
How incredible. How incredible. The, the song that we sometimes sing in the invitation, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. So if we're going to be generous, it begins with giving ourselves wholly to God. And what you're going to discover, and I'm hoping to discover more in my life, since I've spilled my guts to you, is the more we give ourselves to God, the more we'll give back to God. Not because of some command that Paul gave. We don't have time to talk about that this morning. Not because of some command that Paul gave, but because we love him. (laughs) We're just compelled to give because we love him. There's a great story, and I used it before, and I'll use it again, and I'll use it again, and I'll use it again, about one uh, young man named William Borden. This is way back in 1800s, 1800s. William Borden was a, obviously an heir to the Borden Dairy Farm, worth millions of dollars, even as a young man. He became a believer in Jesus Christ, and uh, even in high school was very committed to Jesus. And so for a graduation gift, um, his mom and dad gave him a trip around the world. And of course, no airplanes back in those days. It was by train and ship. And he went around the world. And while over in Asia, Central Asia area, he saw the, uh, the Muslims there, of all people, the Muslims, and their lostness, and determined in his heart that if God would allow him, he would make a difference in that part of the world. So he came back from his trip and told his mom and dad that uh, he really felt like God wanted to use him on the mission field. So he went to Yale and all the big-name schools. Literally was a burning light on those campuses for Jesus Christ. And so it was there at Yale. He said the first of three words. He said first that there can be no reserve. There can be no holding back. People were calling him foolish. A friend said to him, you know, why would you throw it all away for that? And yet it burned within his heart the lostness of the people in Central Asia. This was from Ronnie Floyd, who's one of our big dog pastors, in an article that he wrote. And he said that his dad had said, son, if this doesn't work out, you can always come work at the company. But somewhere in the process, dad changed his mind and said, you will never work for this company. And so he had written the first phrase, no reserve in his Bible. And under that, he wrote the words, no retreat. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He graduated from college and graduated from seminary. And because he had to learn the language, he went overseas and went to Egypt to learn the language. Thirty days after arriving, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. And in his Bible, beyond and below the words, 
no reserve, no retreat, or the words, no regret. No regrets. William Borden gave himself, just like the Corinthians, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Just like Romans chapter 12, I urge you, I beseech you with urgency that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your reasonable service. This is your spiritual worship. I want to urge you today. Remember, we're talking about money we're going to give away. Whatever offerings come up next. This is not for the benefit of Dorsville Baptist. This is money that we're going to give away, whether it be Lottie Moon, whether it be a Christmas box, whether it be uh, Annie Armstrong, whether it be World Hunger, whatever it might be. I urge you to give yourself to God so you can give yourself away. Away. And I believe this. That the greatest joy, uh, how did they word it? The abundant joy? The greatest joy for the believer is when we learn generosity. And the greatest joy for the church of God is when we learn generosity. And the greatest hope for the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ is our generosity. Remember, God's far more interested in proportion than portion. Proportion than portion. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Father, I know your word, your son Jesus said it. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I thank you for that. Father, I pray that we'll learn generosity. I pray you'll teach me and you'll teach us. Father, that all of us can have a part. Generosity is not controlled by circumstances. Generosity is not con controlled by an economy. Our generosity is an act of love to an incredibly generous God. Father, your son also told a story about a farmer who threw some seed out. And some of it landed on rock and some of it landed on hard ground but some have landed on fertile soil where there is able to take root and to grow. And God, I want to pray that for this message. May it take root and grow in our lives. Help us, please, to be the generous people that you want us to be. And Jesus, I do pray this in your precious name. Amen.